I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. When I was going through my first divorce, it was like I'd become the divorce whisperer. Everybody who was having marriage issues or, you know, separation, you know, or thinking about a separation would come and talk to me about it because I was pretty vocal about it and I didn't really care that I was getting a separation. It is what it is, you know? Hi, welcome to Figuring Out 30. I'm Bridget Hustwaite and it's great to be back with you this episode. We're chatting to digital content creator and author of Sex Swipes and Other Stories. It's Helen Chick and we cover so much stuff like why she's grateful for her two divorces, her experience in the New York dating scene and so much more. So we're going to jump into that conversation really soon. I am currently coming to you from the bedroom floor at my parents' house in Ballarat. (laughs) I've been here for a quiet few days. I kind of feel bad though. I don't know about you, but do you ever go back to your parents' house, especially if they do live, you know, in a different town to where you're currently based and you just go back and you don't even leave the house. Like you don't even tell your friends from your hometown that you're back. You were just in full slug mode. I am currently in that situation. I mean, I've got my period. I feel like crap um, and I'm not moving about much at all currently and I'm just eating so much shit. Like every time I come here, I eat like shit because they've got chocolate everywhere. It is like Easter all year round at this house. I can't even begin and I'm having like 50 billion cups of tea, which I'm not complaining about. But yeah, I'm in a big sloth mode currently at mum and dad's, but sometimes you just got to do it, right? that's what I'm doing. It's been a good week though. Otherwise I've had, yeah, a lot of eventful things happen. I went to Sydney for the Warner Music Showcase. So pretty much like this little industry gathering, Warner took over like the North Bondi Life Saving Club, totally warnified the joint out. I felt like I was walking into like the record label's head office or something. There was full branding everywhere. It looked really cool and yeah, great showcase of some live music. There was Oliver Cronin, Day One, Bourgeois, Lovely Bourge, um, and Macy Peters. So both Bourgeois and Macy Peters are currently supporting Ed Sheeran across the country. Um, I'm seeing Ed on Thursday, but this kind of leads into my first Bridgie pick of the week because it's Macy's newest single and it's called Body Better. This one's been in my head ever since I saw Macy perform it live last week at the showcase and it was a bit more of a stripped back performance. She, I just love, she's got this country twang about her vocal and her delivery and that line in the chorus, I shouldn't sing it, but I am, loving you is easy, that's why it hurts now. So simple, so effective, just really stands out to me. Um, yeah, I think this is a great track. I think it's her first single off 
her upcoming album. I'm pretty sure I saw her post that somewhere. But anyway, first Bridgie pick there, Macy Peters, Body Better. Um, I also saw Harry Styles, Marvel Stadium, big pop arena moments. It was very fun. I think the funnest part, honestly, though, like, of course, he was amazing. But I love these concerts where part of the experience is dressing up and making making something of your outfit you know that's what most of the people did there I mean everyone wore what they wanted Harry wanted everyone to just wear whatever makes them happy but it's just fun to have a little moment where you fully dress up and you know maybe wear something a bit more vibrant than what you usually would I mean I wore all pink pink's my favorite color but it was really fun seeing all the cowboy hats and the feather boas and glitter and Everyone just looked like they were there to, yeah, really have a good time. It was a very wholesome experience. Um, I also did some stuff with Bush. So Bush, of course, the sex positive sex wellness brand. I went into their HQ to record some video content. So Endo Awareness Month is pretty much kicking off next week across March. And yeah, we did some content on Endo and one of their products, which is like a TENS machine. And it's very useful in helping relieve some pain. Um, It's called the Aura. So did a bit on that. Uh, They gave me so many freebies. I walked out with two bags full of sex toys and I am literally and physically still buzzing from it. Still buzzing from it. I had to upgrade my box, my storage of sex toys. I had to upgrade to a bigger size because I've got so many. And do you know what? I'm actually going to use one of them as my second Bridgie pick for this week. And this one is for my penis pals out there. This is for you. It is called the Soul Vibrating Stroker. And I don't know how else to describe it other than it's like an elevated wristy. You're welcome. Go look it up. I'll actually, no, I'll add the link to it in the show notes of this episode, Soul Vibrating Stroker from Vush. Go check it out and all of their other products. But let's get into the chat right now in conversation with Helen Chick. Again, Helen is a Sydney-based digital content creator and yet author of Sex Swipes and Other Stories. So we talk about the book, about her two divorces and what it's like to get back out there in the dating scene when you have been divorced and, and when you're a single parent. We chat about the importance of transparency and managing expectations. And yeah, Helen is a massive Sex in the City fan too. So we talk about how that iconic TV series has influenced her dating life including her time spent in New York and her own Mr. Big. So I hope you enjoy this one. It's Figuring Out 30 with Helen Chick. Helen, I'm so excited to have you on this podcast. I've been wanting to chat to you for a very long time. I've got the book. I'm a big fan. <laughs> oh, I love how prepared you are because I have mine here too. <laughs> Yay, look at us. It is gorgeous. It's so like, it's so big like, and it's full of so much good stuff. And it's funny because it's been out for nearly a year pretty much basically. Um, it was yep. a really good talking point for me when I was in the texting stage with my now partner. I remember one night he like oh, messaged me. Yeah, he was like, what are you doing? And I was like, oh, I'm actually just reading this really good book about dating and sex and everything. And I sent him a photo and then he's like, oh, what story have you got for me? And I told him like the earlier one um, about you at the bar in New York and then the bartender is, was oh, also a date of yours. It was such a good talking oh, point though. Honestly, that was uh, – it does it's never even happened to me in Sydney and I live here and it's so much smaller here to like it, you run into people so much so much more easily in Sydney and it happened to me in New York of all places 
of all places, one of the most populated cities in the entire world. So you were on a date with someone and the guy serving you drinks was someone that you also had a bit of history with, right? Well, no, we were also dating. Oh, at the same time. <laughs> yeah, like this was, this, was a, this was a second date for me and Henry Golding, who is the character of that chapter, but I was also in the process of arranging a second date with this chap who was serving me behind the bar. So I was simultaneously dating them two together, but they were the only two. They were the only two out of the, I don't know, 20 or so men that I'd gone on dates with that I actually wanted to see again. And they happened to be in the same place. At the same time. On the same yeah. night. It was very, it was very, very, very awkward. Fuck, it's a good story though. <laughs> yeah. Oh, too many. You've put it all into this book. And as I said, it's been out for, yeah, essentially a year now. Can you kind of just talk us through, to start off, like the significance of a self-published book? Because that is such a huge process. Like I'd love to hear a bit more about how that came to be. And yeah, because it's literally like, it's all you, man. <laughs> Well, I made the decision that I wanted to write the book. Um, ooh, this was coming off the back of my second separation and I was back in the dating pool going on all these dates, had all these stories and friends kept saying that I needed to start a podcast and I wasn't really too keen on the idea at the time. I preferred writing. So I committed to writing a book and spent most of 2019 just dating really and doing the research element of the book and then when lockdown COVID and all that hit in 2020 I was like all right it's time to sit down and actually write more than a paragraph because at that stage 20 at the start of 2020 I had written probably a grand sum of 100 words and so I knuckled down and I actually wrote 50% of the book during the first lockdown and then when things opened up again I thought okay now is a good time to start pitching this idea to publishers and I had reached out to a couple and, you know, had one bite from an Australian publisher, but they, they didn't really, she believed in my book, but when took it, when she took it to all the other publishers in the team, they didn't really see the value in it or didn't really see a place for it in the market. So that got knocked back. And I took a bit of a backward step after that, you know, with all the work and just juggling other priorities in life, the book got um, placed on hold for a bit and then come 2021 lockdown I was like you know what we're going into lockdown again I'm going to finish this book and instead of wasting time trying to convince all these publishers that this book is worth their time I'd just rather do it myself so I made the decision like I think on the day uh, Gladys announced the lockdown and I just thought you know what I'm going to I'm going to do this. I don't know where I'm going to start. I don't know what goes into publishing a book. So I went online, did a lot of um, research. And because we had this whole restriction where we couldn't leave our five kilometre radius, I was very fortunate that I lived very close to a national park. And so I drove down there, parked my car in front of the, the water, which was really, really peaceful and just had my laptop and I wrote every day. It was like my routine. <sighs> beautiful little it's like when you do your writing trips like how good's that your that's like your backyard yes. you know so I had I spent so people were like how did you write your book and I'm like I think I wrote 50% of it in my car <laughs> but in between I had to also look at how I wanted this book to look and I always wanted it to be full color with illustrations and then so my next task was to find an illustrator 
And then she actually then found me my book formatter. I didn't even know that was another person who needed to actually format your book um, into, you know, with the font, the way the paragraphs and pages are placed. So she actually found, my illustrator found me my book formatter completely by accident, I think, as well. So she stumbled across him. Wow forwarded me his profile I had a look at his work and I loved it so it all kind of just fell together quite nicely and then the final step was finding the printer and because we were in the height of lockdown I didn't want to do any of the printing overseas because it would take years to get to me so I had to source a printer locally so jumped on google um, had a look at through some sites and then just settled on one that looked right to me and I reached out to the director and he came on board and he was very interested in helping me self-publish. He, he obviously prints a lot of books with for all the publishers but has never really worked with anybody um, who self-published. So he was very receptive to me um, wanting to be involved in every step of the process from choosing the kind of cardboard um, for the for the cover. Um, That's so good, like fully putting together your whole team. Right. And then the inside the end papers that are directly inside the hardback cover, I wanted different things on either side as well. So that was also a consideration. Yeah, so he was very, very receptive and I was very grateful that everybody was came on board. Would you self-publish again? I mean, if if and when, like when I get this book in a place where I'm actually happy and it's getting overseas sort of recognition right now, it's only really in Australia and New Zealand. Yes, I would consider doing a second one and I'd probably mm-hmm. would self-publish just because I know what the process is now and I, I know what to expect. And it to be, to, to be frank, when I decided that was end of June 2021 that I wanted to self-publish and I released the book on Valentine's Day 2022. So that was an eight-month process. It wasn't that long and I did. Yep. We managed to make it happen. Everything fell into place and I've had friends who've published books who are influencers through publishing houses and they've just not enjoyed the process. They've they've actually told me that their book doesn't even feel like theirs anymore. It'd be hard, especially when you are so creative at the core of yourself and you, you you know, kind of yearn Mm -hmm. to have that control. But again, it's like, it takes a lot to kind of, you know, put it on yourself to learn the processes and have a crack, but you could, yeah, I reckon you are a self-publishing queen, man. Like this is, it's such an impressive (gasps) book, such an impressive body of work. It is it is more than Thank you. a book really, but we'll get into it in a moment, of course. But um, I've got to ask you, Helen, because this is the kind of the starting question of the podcast. It's a bit of like expectation mm. versus reality, right? So mm. I want to kind of take it back to when you were approaching the age of 30 and me- well, actually even beyond that. So what did you have envisioned for yourself by that age? Did you imagine you would be at a particular point with particular milestones and then what was the reality so we'll start with expectation what you thought you were going to have done by that age of 30 well when I left high school I thought I would be married and climbing the corporate ladder you know over the next like 10 years of my life and you know getting married and pumping out kids whilst I've done (laughs) one of those things um the rest has just not not panned out the way I mean in a good way in the best way possible so I I worked in a finance job early days when I'd left uh, university and it just wasn't for me. And then when I started this whole Instagram um, blogging journey, I loved it and I ended up just throwing everything into that for the past, I don't know, I would say six, seven years. And so if you ask me, my expectation was 
that I would be climbing the corporate ladder in the finance world and versus reality, I could not think of anything more miserable than than to be <laughs> stuck in an office and just working with the, you know, the politics behind it all and doing that grind. Like I just mm. couldn't, I couldn't imagine myself going back in and I don't think they'd take me back to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> you don't need to go back there anyway. So what was happening by the time you, you know, when you turned 30, what was going on in your life? Oh, gosh. Well, I had, by the time I was turning 30, I had already been separated, not quite fully finalised the second divorce, but I was in in all respects divorced um, twice and had a son who would have been only about 18 months. And, yeah, that was a big sort of realization for me that I'm like wow I'm 30 and I've been divorced twice how many people can say that (laughs) (laughs) even when I say that I've been divorced twice people look at me and go how old are you I'm like I know the Asian Asian genes are deceptive but (laughs) I'm 30 it's still I feel like on paper I read like a 50 year old but you know I'm I'm only 33 or almost 33 so it was a hard it was a hard realization though yeah okay so I guess what in comparison to what your friends were at 30 like I mean I've I've just I've been there and I've done that like Mm. all the milestones that most women want to tick you know by the time they're in their 30s or early 30s I've done all of that but they just that's why I just find these milestones that we place on ourselves so archaic that you, you can rush and try and get to it as quickly as possible but it's never it's it's never a guarantee that it's going to last and I don't even think it's something that most people even want, but we get told that we want these things. And then when we get it, we're like, Jesus, it's like, Jesus, I actually don't want this. This is this is shit. And when we talk about divorce too, because it is such an interesting um, thing to unpack. I mean, I've got a friend who was, yeah, her divorce was finalized pretty much when she turned 30. And it's so amazing to see how the conversation surrounding it is now because historically it's seen as like a taboo word or whatever. But I mean, where do you think we are in terms of like erasing that stigma or whatever? Because when my friend got divorced, I I know she definitely felt that, you know, that shame, which I wish she never felt. And I wish anyone going through a divorce never felt shame, but due to like this, you know, historical conditioning and all this shit you do, but like, I just remember Mm. getting around her and being like, dude, like, thank fuck you divorced. Like imagine going into this new decade of your life still married in that marriage, like congrats on this new chapter. And I feel like more and more people Mm -hmm. are kind of, you know, having that attitude, but there are still people who are just like divorce. So like, yeah, I mean, how, how's your relationship with the Mm -hmm. D word evolved? I think when it comes to divorce, the shame really comes from what, we think others are going to think of our choice to, to get divorced. I think family usually plays a huge part and, you know, your friends, how is it going to be perceived from the outside? Uh, you know, that's what where the shame comes from. But at the end of the day, the way I saw it was when I made both the decisions was that if I'm not happy and there is no way to salvage this relationship I'm out like and I'd much rather cut ties quickly than drag it on and waste my time because you know when you know it's not right you know it's not right and it's not going to be you know it's not going to benefit anybody anymore just to be you know in this marriage and stay unhappy and 
And why should you, you know, why should you stay stuck in that? Like just so that you can, you know, so that you are, you know, the picture perfect family from the outside, but really you're miserable on the inside. Why bother? Like Mm. who cares what other people think? And ironically, you know, it it doesn't surprise me when people do judge you for getting a divorce or separation, but then find themselves years down the track thinking about the same thing. And then they will then experience what you're feeling, but, you know, and have a lot more empathy for it. And funnily enough, when I was going through my first divorce, it was like I'd become the divorce whisperer. Everybody who was having marriage issues or, you know, separation, you know, or thinking about a separation would come and talk to me about it because I was pretty vocal about it and I didn't really care that I was getting a separation. It is what it is, you know? Yeah. I think it's so important that you would that as well for people because, yeah, you usually don't have that person around and it's something I think what people tend to forget um, or go wrong is they think a failed marriage means you're a failure and that is absolutely no. not the case. No. And, and you know what? People outgrow each other. It's so common. It's so rare for people like to stay together for 30, 40 years straight. And if you do manage to do it, geez, you get, you deserve a medal because, you know, it's, it's, it's an, not an easy feat to spend, you know, I don't know, 10, 20 years with the same person. But it's also not, it shouldn't be uh, taboo or like, you know, you shouldn't feel ashamed when you want to prioritize your happiness. Um, because we are all, at the end of the day, responsible for our own happiness and we have one life. And if you are miserable in a relationship, I don't see the point in staying. And if you've both tried and made a decent effort to try and resolve or salvage the relationship, and but it's still not working, then fair enough, just get separated. You can both live happy, separate lives and move on. Then stay and force yourselves to stay in an unhappy marriage. I don't see the point in doing that. And I, of course, when there's kids involved, I get why, where parents are coming from, that yeah. they stay together because they don't want the kids to grow up in a broken family unit. And believe me, that came into play for my second separation. But I think it'll fuck up a child way, fuck up a child's growth, you know, when they're growing up and, you know, seeing their parents fight every single day it'll fuck up their minds way more than for you to just separate and then they see you even though you spend half your time with one parent and half your time with another but at least they're happy happy nurturing and being their best selves and their best parenting selves right yes yes they they get the best of both worlds because you're going to be on your best behavior with every single like they go to your dad and they you know your dad's happy to see you because he's only got you for x amount of time and you go to mum, she's only got you for this amount of time so they get the best of both worlds versus if you stayed when married and you are both fighting all the time but also feeling guilty because your child is seeing all of that or you're trying to you know shield your child from it but not doing a very good job of it what's the point yeah, a hundred percent. Here's a question: How grateful are you for your divorces? Oh, they're the best decisions that I made in in my life. Really, I just mind you, I co-parent my son with my ex, and we have a decent relationship and very, um, you know, functional relationship when it comes to co-parenting our son. And I think we get along much better now as separate entities. But, you know, if we had stayed together, it just was, it it just would not have worked. Mm. And I would have been miserable. He would have been miserable and we would have been no better for it. (laughs) 
And how about in terms of your emotional growth? I feel like that would have just been such a huge thing for you. And I mean, actually in all aspects, like it's just amazing what a breakup or a divorce can do for you in terms of your next chapters. I mean, I just think of like when my, like it's, it's tiny in comparison, but like my first boyfriend, like if we'd never broken up, I never would have had a crack at music presenting, which has like led to where. Hiring for your small business. If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals. You can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. I am now essentially, but yeah, I guess in terms of the emotional growth of, of it all, like have you seen huge change within yourself thanks to these divorces? Absolutely. I feel like... I definitely take ownership of my part that I played in both of the divorces and how I was, you know, as a person. And it's taken me years to have all this introspection really of how, like what I am as a person, come to terms with this is how I am, but here are, here are aspects of my personality that I do need to focus on and work on because it's, uh, you know, any, anybody being in a relationship with me would not enjoy that. So it's something that I need to work on from behind you know and the book definitely helped that I think when I was writing the book it was kind of like a you know a therapy for me because I'd look back on all the texts and I'd really hyperanalyze how I was coming off um, in these texts to other people in order to write as objectively as I could but yeah and and that just opened up my eyes a lot It's like a big personal debrief, isn't it? Just within yourself. It's such a powerful thing to do and to sit there in your car, just like writing all of this, like, and it takes a lot, like not everyone can actually confront that really. Mm -hmm. I had many moments with writing, I guess, the more emotional, emotionally involved chapters in the book. I think the Mr. X one was probably the hardest one for me to write and it took me oh like so many tries over the course of two years on and off like I'd open up the chapter read what I'd already written and then by the time I'd finished reading what I'd written I'm like no nah, I can't do this just close it close it again <laughs> and just it try another day <laughs> like, well, that's for another day because I used to write based off my mood and I'd have multiple chapters started and depending on what my mood is I'd go into a certain chapter and write that based off of that but the Mr. X one was incredibly hard and that was probably the one that I needed the most sort of introspection on and just taught me a lot about how I how I approach vulnerability mm. or my unwillingness to approach it. Yeah, I think the, the themes of vulnerability and even managing ego and expectation were really important things to cover throughout the book and even transparency, which I might touch on first because it kind of links in with the whole um, Mm. concept of divorce because you mentioned in your book like your list of like need to knows and the nice to knows, right? And your three need to knows was the two divorces, your son, and then the third was pretty much just the above. Like (laughs) was that something that you 
how did you go about that? I guess like, did you ever have an issue with raising them on your dates and stuff and have the responses been varied? Like what's it been like? My thing was I always told the other person uh, these need to knows before we went on a date. Oh, okay, before. Yes, because there's nothing worse than sitting across from somebody and you've dropped these bombshells on them and they're just like looking for an exit, like they're just (laughs) wanting it out. So it's much better than to give them the option before you go on a date to let them know they can decide and if they're okay with it, then fine, we go for a date. If they're not, that's also fine as well. But I'd much rather know early on than later down the track because I don't want to waste my time and I don't want to waste another person's time as well. But definitely more selfishly, I don't want to waste my own time. So I'd much rather rip off the Band-Aid early. And I I think I've only ever had maybe three, like half a dozen dudes who actually had an issue with that. But mostly like, you know, you've got nothing to lose, but like, you know, to, to tell somebody and if they reject it, then that's okay. But most of the time they're just fine. But also you, it means that what you think is a really big deal and by building it up inside you, it's going to make it way harder down the track when you're more invested in this person to tell them than just to do it, to do it early on and, you know, you, you, they either are okay or they're not and then go from there. Yeah, I feel like there would be a few people listening who have been, you know, divorced or they are raising a child. So they're listening and you're saying um, communicate it before you're actually face-to-face. What else would you say to them? Because I feel like there'd be so many people in that position who wouldn't even know how to get back out into the dating landscape. And especially if it's been a long time and they've come back and there's fucking apps Mm. left, right and centre. Like it is such an Mm. overwhelming space. Mm. I think the way I approached it was, you know, obviously two divorces and one child is pretty serious. It's not like a, a something that you joke about, but not shits and giggles. it's so serious. My, <laughs> no, no, it's definitely not. And so I always gave people the option. I'm like, I can either, I, th- I can either give you three need to knows first or three nice to knows. And it always, I think, I think 80% of people will pick need to knows because they're like, oh, oh fuck the mic's about to drop something (laughs) she's going to drop some crazy bombshell like she's murdered her ex-boyfriend or you know something like that and but it also tells me a lot about the person the personality of the other person as well so for the people who actually went for nice to knows I was always pleasantly surprised by that and it also just means I, I well at least I found they're much more open to you know and receptive to my need to knows but I guess curiosity is always going to get the better of everybody. So when you say you have need to knows, they're going to want to know. But at the very least, you've given them the option, you've dropped the bombshell, but then you can always follow it up with your nice to knows, which can always be a lot more lighthearted. And you just kind of have to find the balance between, yes, this is, you know, not a a joking, like a joking kind of situation if you are divorced and have like children um, and dependents, but you you're also taking it in taking it in stride and getting on with your life and you know how to have fun so it's not just oh yes I'm I'm a divorcee and I'm a single parent kind of you know you don't kind of play into that sort of sad it shouldn't be a sad narrative well you don't make it your identity right correct don't play into this you know oh you should feel bad for me and you know because I'm divorced and I'm you know a divorcee now just See it as though you've prioritized your own happiness. You want to find, you know, find be in a relationship where you're actually happy 
and then go from there. That's your identity. It's you finding your second love renaissance or whatever you want to call it. <laughs> yeah. And it's, and yeah, you were so much more than that. Like that's just, you know, that's not you. That's just what happened. Right. Yes. And it shit happens. <laughs> Straight up, straight up. Well, I think that's such a great, yeah, mindset and approach to it. And I think that will help so many people. I want to kind of go a bit of a pivot now because, you know, when you um, open the book and straight into chapter two, you're mentioning sex in the city. And I feel like I need to do Mm -hmm. a whole damn episode on this and bring you back for it. Yeah. um, Because I know you are a fan. But I guess talking about the influence of sex in the city, especially for women who were dating and women who were single, do you want to kind of talk me through where it, where it lies for you? You mentioned in the book you're a, um, a Carrie meets Samantha. I actually, before this, I jumped on like Cosmopolitan and there was a quiz from like 2013 mm. about like which character are you. I got Samantha. I feel like I'm Samantha and Miranda or even like a little bit of both. But talk to me about, yeah, I guess your relationship and the influence of sex in the city, like in terms of your, your dating life. It was quite funny because the way I wrote the book, everybody who read it could just hear Sex in the City music. <laughs> and you running down the street in like a tutu. <laughs> running down the street in my, high, in my high heels and just, you know, that was, it was actually quite huge. I took a lot of inspiration from Carrie. Um, the reason why I really liked Sex in the City was because they, if you look at the four characters separately, Whenever I I find that, at least with me, I'm never just one of them. I'm a mixture of the four. And they're so like, they're they're just very polarizing. Like, do you ever really find someone who's exactly like Samantha, who is just all about the sex and just, you know, gets in a cab and then, you know, somebody tries to steal her cab, but then they end up in her apartment having sex. Like who really does that? (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, so they're ex- they're exploring a lot of different themes very early on because well when did Sex in the City come out? They would have been like the early nineties, right? So mm. I would have only just been growing up. But they're exploring all these things where you know you can be sexually explorative and you know through Samantha and not be ashamed that you like sex and you don't want strings attached. Then you have Miranda, who's the the, the career obsessed woman who would wants to progress in life and set herself up and be independent and not rely on a man for you know uh, providing and being the breadwinner so they explore all these things that we face even till now but in very separate characters and I don't know I just really loved watching it because it was just they approach dating how we should be approaching dating the today realistically they're asking all the correct questions of like, why is it that, you know, when you hit past 30, you know, men see that as you, you've exceeded your expiry date. We're not as, you know, as um, attractive as the early 20 year old model strutting down the street. So it's all themes that are still very relevant now in 2023. It's funny because you have like the chapter with like um, life stages and lifestyle choices. And when I was reading that, I was thinking of that episode where Carrie's seeing that younger guy and like wakes up in his like hell dirty apartment and there's like just trash everywhere and she's trying to get a coffee. (laughs) And there's no toilet paper and she's just like, my God, this is not for me. People underestimate where you are in a life stage. And how that plays into your relationship as well. Because sure, you know, you have all the the chemistry and what um, at the start and all the feel good feels, but later down the track, it's always going to come back. I guess when you do go and see 
Um, if you're going on a date or if you're talking to someone and you think about how maybe transparent you are with your life stage, and I guess it ties into letting people know about, you know, having two divorces and having a child and, and stuff. Have you felt like in these past few years, you know, your first few years being in your 30s, you've just been like, that that is so much more important to me than what I, I think it's like a natural thing as opposed to dating in our 20s. But have you seen that shift pretty significantly as you've entered your 30s? I mean, for me, when I entered my 30s, I'd just come out of the marriage really and just enjoying that single life. I actually didn't, like, I was in a very unique position in that I had already ticked all these milestones that, you know, we feel like we need to tick by the time I turned 30. But because I've ticked them, I'm no longer chasing after them because I've done it. It's overrated in my opinion. Uh, like, you know, getting married and go walking down the aisle and having the big wedding and expensive wedding dress. And, you know, I don't, I don't necessarily want it. I'm not against it. Like, you know, I actually, I probably was against it when I first was getting, you know, separated, but I'm not chasing those things anymore. I don't have that expectation which again puts me in a unique position in that when I meet someone, I have no expectation. I'm like, is this the person I'm going to get married to? Is this the person who I'm going to have kids with? I don't care because I've done it all. But and I'm also how I was good for you to just to watch Sex in the City, like after all yeah. that happening and being like, thank fuck I've got a show like Sex in the City who really, you know, kind of captures what, what it is like and how good single life can be in your 30s. Yes. Yeah. And it's more important to find the right person than to just tick all these boxes with somebody who kind of fits the mold. Do you know what I mean? Like I don't just want to, especially after two divorces, you definitely don't want to fit like just check boxes for the sake of checking boxes. You want to really just take your time to find the right person who is your person before you commit. And because I've ticked the big milestones that, you know, we uh, I feel like most women want to try and achieve these days before they turn 30 or 35, I just didn't have that pressure anymore, which made it very pleasant for me to date because there was just zero expectation. Mm. And the expectation, again, is just so important to to manage when it comes to dating. Helen, with the book, because, yeah, you do spend quite a lot of time in, um, in New York and kind of going back to Sex and the City. I mean, you've got your own Mr. Big in the book and you've kind of finished it off as like, un, am, I, am I right in saying it's kind of like unfinished business or to be continued? Like, can I expect a sequel? <laughs> Well, ironically, when I was finishing the book, I have I had actually met my current partner and was chat like you know in the you know initial stages of our relationship. Oh my god, careful! So it was very it was very strange. I know it was very strange that that I was he knew I was writing this dating book and I had told him that I'm writing this dating book and it was always my intention. How early did you tell him? This is like such a plot twist. I love it. Oh, I told everybody I was writing a dating book when I went on date. So oh. as soon as you met him though? Yeah, we, he knew I was writing a book. Yes. So I, very transparent, I, I said, look, you know, and obviously most most men that I do tell that I'm writing this book about dating, they're like, am I going to be in the book? And I'm like, well, it depends on your behaviour. <laughs> it really, <laughs> That's a Taylor really, Swift thing, isn't like, it? I love <laughs> It really depends on you if you're going to be in there. So if you're normal and, you know, you, you're not crazy, you're probably not going to end up in the book. Let's just be real. Like we want the juicy stuff. Um, so I, he knew early on and then we went straight into lockdown and so we didn't see each other for about 
three months or so, but we chatted every single day via text or FaceTime. That was kind of our version of long distance dating, which was ironic because I could have just jumped in my car and driven to him. But because we were playing by the rules, we just kept it on text and FaceTime, which was actually really, really nice. Um, A nice way to start the relationship without any of the physical Mm. elements. It was just getting to know each other um, for who we are and, and just seeing if we were going to be right. Um, and then, so we, when we got, finally got a chance to get together, I was pretty much finalizing the manuscript and, you know, getting ready to, to go through the printing process and, and whatnot. Um, and he, he was fine with it. And, you know, I mean, there were, there were definitely a couple of issues to address before the book released. I had him read all the chapters that I had emotional investment in just so that he knew, you know, they're all in the past and I guess the Mr. Big, even though I had left it unfinished, because I'm with my current partner, it is it is for all intents and purposes, it is finished. But yeah, you know, it's it's one of those things where you could I I had to approach that ending with Mr. Big, you know, uh, like just to leave people wanting more, if you know what I mean. But you know, life happens. I met my current partner. I'm happy and we are building towards something. And, you know, that's, that's where my life is going from now. And people are like, are you going to write a, a new book about, you know, being in a relationship? I'm like, oh, let's, let's, let's put that on hold let's for the moment. Let's live the relationship first too, you know? <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> but like I said, I'm not somebody who gives relationship advice. I can give dating advice. Very different things. Yeah, I think that's actually a really important thing to highlight. There is a difference between relationship advice and dating advice. Mm-hmm. So do you have any like tea on what the New York dating scene is like? I'm just so curious. What are the guys like over mm. there to date? <laughs> I actually think it's very hard to date in New York. And I completely feel like when you watch Sex and the City and how they the girls are always like, it's really hard to find a decent guy. It's a very... Um, transactional kind of dating culture over there and people are always so busy you have to book things like three weeks in advance there's no real spontaneity to it occasionally you might find somebody who's open to it but most people have so much going on in their lives that it's hard to even get any momentum going there's there's so many women I think I've read this um, study they had like a statistic and there was definitely more single women than there are men in New York. So it was definitely a case where um, the the demand for men versus the supply was, you know, um, a tricky one to try and navigate. So men obviously had the upper hand, so they could just have a steady rotation of girls to, to, to date. A roster. At the same time. <laughs> yes, a roster of them that they can go and see. So it wasn't an easy sort of task to, to actually date seriously over there. So I understand that I have, I know people who have moved to New York and, you know, been there for three or four years and stayed single and haven't been able to find, uh, you know, a, a relationship. I've even met, I even went on a date with an Aussie who had moved over um, to New York to work with one of the banks and he had been single for four years there. Wow. And he had all his, his crazy stories with girls and, you know. It's not an easy city to date in. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't seem like the easiest city for a lot of things. Like if you want to go over there and make it in terms of work and stuff and then, yeah, to find you really got to be like hustling at it, right? <laughs> yes, yes. And 
people people are very quick to move on over there as well. There's just so many options over there that, you know, you're hot for one moment and then the next week you just nothing to somebody. It's very just like a take it or leave it kind of culture over there. So wrapping up, Helen, how would you sum up what you have lived of your 30s and maybe what you would tell your younger self about your 30s? Is it as full on and as daunting and as uneventful as what people might make it out to be? Because we do tend to look at our 30s as like the time in which we have our shit together. But a lot of people and especially a lot of people that I've had on the podcast have said, you know, you've done the groundwork. This is where it begins. So what would you say about this decade of life? I was terrified when I was turning 30. I actually was in a bit of a rut um, when I was turning 30. But after I actually hit 30, I just realized my life was great. Mind you that, you know, I, I was turning 30 during the pandemic. Um, but I actually loved, I have loved every moment of being in my 30s. What would I tell my younger self? I think I would say to myself in my 30s, in my 20s, that the best is yet to come. I, I just genuinely think that we have way more freedom and we, get a be- we have a better understanding of ourselves in our 30s than we do in, ever will in our 20s. It's so rare to have like, you know, yourself figured out who you are as a person and know what, you know, where you stand in society, but also with yourself. It's very rare to find somebody who knows all of that in their 20s. But once you do find it, and it usually happens, after you turn 30, you feel really, you feel amazing. You just unapologetically you and you go about your life. Sure, you have moments where uh, everybody's human, but you just go about your life and you enjoy it. But also, it also means that you just further down your like the track in terms of your career, you have more freedom to do what you want versus when you were going through uni and you had no money to, to do anything. Do you know what I mean? Like it's, mm. it's just completely different. And now when people are about to turn 30, I'm like, you're going to have the best time of your life, really. Being in your 30s, it's just, again, your life is only starting when you turn 30, I think. I agree. Helen, thank you so much for jumping on the podcast. I'm, yes, again, a massive fan of the book. And whenever it is that you choose to write on whatever it is, I'm excited to see it and definitely self-publish again because you fucking crushed it. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. If you want to grab a copy of Helen's book, Sex, Swipes and Other Stories, I've popped the link in the show notes of this episode. Again, highly recommend it. It's a really engaging read and it is such a beautifully designed book. And yeah, we love supporting local independent female authors. Thank you so much for listening. If you are enjoying the podcast, I would really appreciate a review or rating. If you got time, please follow it and share it with anyone that you think might enjoy figuring out 30. It is a fully independent project. It's just me here running it. So yeah, your support is so appreciated. Figuring Out 30 is created on the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. I'm Bridget Husway. I'll catch you next week, yeah, for an episode all about endometriosis. So March is Endo Awareness Month and I'm really keen to dedicate a whole episode to this chronic condition that I and so many others have to deal with. So I'll catch you then. Bye-bye.
Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.